0: It's Amen. It's a privilege to uh, have the opportunity to pick up and continue our sermon series tonight in Hebrews 3. And I just would invite you, if you have a Bible, uh, to open up to Hebrews chapter 3. I want to read this passage together. But before I do, I just want to remind you that this series we've titled as Faithful. And the reason for that is that Hebrews was written to, as is obvious from the the name of the book, Hebrew Christians. And these Hebrew Christians were apparently under immense stress and persecution, and many of them had been thrown in jail because of their faith in Jesus. You can imagine the fear and the anxiety and the questions that rose up in their hearts as, as maybe the breadwinner of their home was in jail, and they had no earthly way to provide for their family. And it seems apparent that maybe in their hearts, they began to question and wonder whether it was worth continuing on in this journey of following Jesus. We could just go back to what we were already doing. So, the author of Hebrews is reasoning in a sermon with these Hebrew Christians. And he keeps making these arguments from greater, or I'm sorry, from lesser to greater. And he's going back and using examples and talking about things that to these Hebrew Christians would have been very familiar because they were part of their faith tradition. And in each example, at each in each argument in which he argues from the lesser to the greater, his point is always this, that Jesus is better than what you left behind. And as we come to Hebrews chapter 3, it's the same type of argument, and he's going to pick up and he's going to talk about some things that are really near and dear to the heart of these Hebrew Christians. And I want you to follow along with me if you can, If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get someone to to get them out. Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to read the whole chapter. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now, every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household, as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and hope in which we boast. And he turns to warning them, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he now quotes from Psalm 95, and he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not for those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see the glory and beauty and majesty of Jesus. I pray that whatever bondage we are in, whatever battles we're facing, whatever ways that we feel completely overwhelmed and in and, and desperation, I pray that you would help us tonight to lift up our eyes See Jesus and consider Him. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A few years ago, 31 years to be exact, I was nine years old, and I uh, was walking home from school. I was with my friend Charlie, and my sister and I were staying uh, at his family's house. In lived basically across the street from the the school. And they actually owned like a really large ranch. It was a cattle farm in the northeast part of of Washington State. And as we walked up his driveway, we saw a police car. And of course, nine-year-old boys are immediately compelled and curious by the presence of, of, uh, of a police car ran up to the house to see what was going on. And when I walked in, I noticed, kind of like in passing, I saw a box of of my stuff sitting on the the floor. And Kathy, Charlie's mom, told Charlie and I, why don't you guys go down to the convenience store and get a candy bar? So we left, and got our candy bar, came back, and... When I got back, the police officer told my sister and I that we were going to be leaving with him. My dad was out of, was, was away, had been away for a while. Um, all of our stuff was loaded into the trunk of this police car. And to a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, this was the most confusing and frightening experience that you could imagine. We didn't understand what was going on. We didn't know why it was happening. But we knew that our life had changed. And we were taken away to a foster home. And we were actually there for only three days. It wasn't a significant time away. But in the three days that I was there, my nine-year-old brain is trying to put together and understand what has happened and why. And I remembered that, that fact that, All of our stuff had been packed. It was already sitting there on the floor when I came home from school that day. And so I came to believe that this very dear friend who was like a mother in my life was responsible for this terrifying experience that I was going through. I believed in that moment that she had um, taken all that was near and dear to me and and taking it from me. And three days later, when my dad regained custody of us, he only enforced that narrative to us, that, that Kathy wanted to take us and adopt us, and, and I, it just made me angry at her. And it wasn't until my, my mid-30s, as God was beginning to unpack some of my story, and helping me begin to see that the things that I had experienced as a, chi- as a child were not actually normal. That I had walked through years of abuse and neglect and abandonment. And in the midst of all of that wrestling, I, was, I began to ask God, why did you leave me there? Why was, why was no one there to say anything? Why were we left in this situation for so long. And literally, I can picture where I was. I was on a job, and I was just looking out over the trees, and I get a message, a Facebook message, from a lady named Wendy. And Wendy was Kathy's daughter. And she explained to me that her mom wanted to talk to me if I was willing to. And obviously, it evoked all these like really interesting and strong emotions. But then God like helped me to see in that moment, wait a second. This person that I had held within anger and contempt for so long because of my love for my dad, even though he was hurting us, was wrong. And God just seemingly opened up and and gave me a glimpse into his heart for me. And I realized that Kathy, no, she wasn't against me. She was actually for me. She had, in in that moment, displayed tremendous courage to raise her hand and say, no, this isn't right. And I'm sure that as I share that kind of vulnerable and hard part of my story, that there are those of you who can identify, who know what it's like to have somebody to stand up for you, even when you don't understand it, to give you a voice when you don't have a voice, and gave you strength when you didn't have strength to even fight for yourself, or maybe you had no ability. And I believe as we come to this passage, that when the author of Hebrews brings up Moses, he is in a very real way evoking the same kind of emotions that I feel when I think about Kathy now. I see Kathy as a hero. I'm so grateful that she spoke up, that she said something, and she tried to get us into into a safer situation. In a very real way, Moses was the same. And in this passage, he's gonna kind of like thread this needle and sh- he, he's not even going to put down Moses. In fact, Moses is seen as, as, as someone who was faithful. He is a, a positive example. and and the author of Hebrews wants to use that that positive example of Moses to build up and show how even more significant the person of Jesus is. And So we see that this, the author refers to Moses as a man whose faith allowed him to be a faithful servant in all of God's household. Here's the situation. The people of God, Israel, were in Egypt as slaves. They were being oppressed. And there was nothing they could do to change their circumstances. And so God calls this simple shepherd Moses. In Exodus 3, he says, the Lord says, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he says, therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And it's interesting because Even though Moses is lifted up as a man of faith who acts on his his trust of God to lead the people out of Israel, we all know that initially Moses wasn't feeling really all that excited to do what God wanted him to do. Think about it. If you spent more time with sheep than with people, would you feel really confident to go talk to the greatest ruler of that time? No, he felt a ton of anxiety. There was a ton of fear. And he expressed that fear in questions to God. And God heard him. And God gave him a a helper, his brother Aaron. And And he then went to Egypt and spoke to Pharaoh. And just as God had said, Pharaoh didn't want to hear it. And so God would give... Moses' instructions, go, throw your staff on the ground. Go raise your staff. And each time a miracle ensued in which initially Pharaoh's heart would be softened and he would let the, decide to let the people go and then he would change his mind. And so God would come through Moses again with another miracle. Hebrews 11 talks about the faith of Moses. It says, By faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. You can see why the Hebrews felt so much gratitude and reverence for the person of Moses. His faith had freed them from the powerful grip of a powerful and brutal dictator. And because of that faith, God opened the door for them to leave Egypt and ultimately to travel to a land that he promised would be flowing with milk and honey. But there was a problem. This story doesn't end as happily as we would hope. And, and, and the author of Hebrews brings this up in this warning passage, starting in verse 7, going through verse 11. And here's the simple problem Moses was a faithful servant, he wasn't the son. What do I mean by that? There was no way that Moses could finish this journey because he couldn't change the hearts of the Israelite people. In spite of the Hebrew people having witnessed the seven miracles that led to their release from Egypt, in spite of having witnessed the parting of the Red Sea, of having seen water come from a rock, manna like dew on the grass every morning, and flocks of grouse, in spite of all the faithfulness and supernatural provision of God, in spite of seeing the glow of God's glory on the face of Moses when he descended from the mountain, the people of God still complained. They thought God had brought them into the desert to die. And God, in his anger, pronounced that the first generation of Israelites would just wander in the desert because of their pride, they ultimately would not be able to enter into that promised land. And the sad part of this story, that even though Moses, even though Moses had been faithful, even though Moses had trusted God, is he walked through some of the most incredible circumstances even he failed to enter the promised land of rest because of his pride and unbelief when he struck a rock in anger because of the stubbornness of the people of Israel. But this story is only a testimony, a picture, a foreshadow of someone who was still to come. And that's kind of the point of this passage. This story of Moses, yes, correctly evokes responses of gratitude and reference. Thank you, God, that someone trusted God enough to have the courage to come and help us get out of this terrible situation. But if that is true, how much more true is it of Jesus? Jesus, so the first point was this, right? Moses was faithful. Moses' faith allowed him to be a faithful servant in all God's household. But Moses couldn't finish what he started because he was just a servant. He was just a man. He ultimately would die just like everyone else in that story. But Jesus... Is different. Ooh, I got hot. <laughs> Jesus has been faithful to gather a people who will worship at the throne of God. And if you remember at the beginning of this passage, this author tells us, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. He's the apostle. It means apostle refers to, to somebody who goes out and starts a fresh work. And the high priest of our confession, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all of God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Just like Moses, Jesus was given a mission. A great rescue mission from God. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase Philippians chapter 2. That lays out really what the mission of Jesus was. What God wanted him to do. And here it is. Jesus was sent from heaven by his Father to complete a great mission to gather a people from every tribe, tongue, and people. Here are the steps, all right? So picture Jesus being in heaven, seated at the throne of God, and God says, all right, Jesus, I want you to give up your rights as God, and I want you to become a Jesus isn't Trump. Thankfully, he was willing to give up his rights as God, right? This is a big deal. Jesus had to give up his throne, so to speak, give up his spot in heaven with all the angels and descend and take on the, the likeness of human in all of its weakness. But he couldn't just be any human. Like it would be kind of cushy to go from being king of heaven to like king of Egypt, right? Like that that almost makes sense, but but God's like, "No. My son, I want you to become a servant. So I want you to assume the position at the lowest rung of the ladder, not at the highest rung." And he he needed Jesus to be obedient to his Father even unto death so that he could be like mankind in every way. He needed to live out and experience every facet of what it meant to be human, even dying. And then, just to make it worse, that death would be a slow, painful death on a cross for something he didn't even. And because of Jesus' faith, and because of his faithfulness, God would exalt him and give him a name above every name and a people that would confess that he is God. Jesus' mission is the ultimate rescue mission of his people from the bondage of sin. And his mission ends when all of his people gather together at the throne of God. Revelation 7 9 says that there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language which no one could number standing before the throne and before the lamb they were clothed in white with white robes with palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice voice salvation belongs to our god who is seated on the throne and to the lamb you see the difference between moses and jesus They were both faithful. They both did what God called them to do. But only God, only Jesus is capable of taking the people that God called them to gather and changing their hearts and taking them all the way into the presence of God with him. you put your faith in Jesus, you're not just putting your faith in a good man. If you put your faith in Moses, you'll only get as far as his faith. But if you put your faith in the creator of man, you will go as far as Jesus. You're putting your faith in the one who replaces your heart of stone with a heart of flesh, and what Jesus starts in you will be finished. But the author of Hebrews is concerned for the Hebrews. There is a warning here for the people of God. When I think about it, you know, when you think about the story of Israel leaving Egypt and being in the desert, I mean, you can somewhat understand the anxiety of not knowing where your food's going to come from or water. But you what you begin to see is this emotional entanglement that still existed in the people of God. Like when they were there in Egypt, It was hard. They wanted out because it was hard. Not just hard, people were dying. They couldn't exercise their faith in God the way they they felt God had called them to. And, And rightfully, they were calling out to God, please take us from this. And then he answers them. And then immediately they're like, well, at least we knew we had a meal in Egypt. And even though, even though th- there was bondage there, they wanted to go back to the bondage because that's what they were familiar with. And I suspect that if we're honest tonight, we, we feel similar emotional enmeshment, if you will, with different forms of bondage that Jesus came to die for and release us from. It's like my nine-year-old heart, you know, being led out of danger into safety, thought that it was terrible, right? Even though it was the best thing that could happen. So what, what is the warning here for us? How do we take the truth that Jesus of who Jesus is, the truth of the story of Moses and the people of Israel, and apply it to our lives here today, right now? Let me, let me talk through a couple examples. If you're fighting for sobriety, Body aches. And it's really hard. The temptation is to believe, I want to just go back. Because the current seems harder than what the past was. And Hebrews is saying, Brothers and sisters, watch out. So that there's no evil, unbelieving heart that turns you away from the living God. In other words, stay on the path that he's put you on and trust him. Put your faith in Jesus. Right? Even though you're in the desert, even though you don't know where the food is going to come from, even though you don't know where the water is going to come from, Don't turn back. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust Him. If you're fighting to put food on the table, don't believe the lie that you need to go back to running the street and doing whatever you got to do to put food on the table. Right? You don't need to go back to the, the gang life or whatever whatever you did in the past that was illegal and and clearly against what God says. Don't believe that lie. Trust Jesus. Put your faith in him. Yes, you're in the desert and you don't know where their food is going to come from and you don't know where the water is going to come from, but I promise you this, that Jesus will give it and he'll give it right when you need it. if you feel useless and broken because of abuse and the sin of others against you, put your faith in Jesus. Your value is not found in what others have said or done against you. But your creator God sent Jesus, his own son, to rescue. You're not alone. Look, no matter what chaos you came from, it may be familiar, it may be what you're used to, but it doesn't mean that you should stay there. We need to have the faith to imagine a new future in Jesus that we can't even see yet. We just need to hold on And keep holding on, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. And one day, one day we're going to stand before the throne of God. And all the thankfulness that can fill a human heart will overflow all at once into praise for the Lamb of God who saved us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, there is not a person in this room who isn't in one type of battle or another who at one point or another hasn't felt hopeless, who at one point or another has not contemplated the possibility of just throwing it all in. I'm thankful that this, the tiniest, squeakiest, like, like, call that we can let out for help, you hear. You There isn't a a place in this world that we can be where you're not and where you don't hear the smallest cry of faith. And Lord, I pray that wherever we are, whatever battles we're facing and fighting, that today we would not give in, that instead we would continue (coughs) to fight to hold on to you through faith. you will finish the battle for us. You will complete us and complete it and and present us pure and clean and, and whole before the Father. We thank you for that, Lord.